Now, what a great time of worship. Thank you for letting me be part of that with you this morning. We are continuing today something we began last Sunday as we're trying to get a handle on and a better understanding of what's been happening in our country and in our culture as we have wrestled in recent days and weeks with the issues of racial injustice and inequality. And we're wanting to be very sure and very careful that anything we say about a topic like this is done from a biblical perspective and a biblical foundation. And in order to do that, we're looking together at the book of James. We could have gone to a lot of different places in Scripture to find counsel, but I've chosen to go to the book of James because the book of James tells us what it means to live the Christian life. You see, James' concern is not so much what we believe, even though belief is important. James is really more concerned with what we do. Belief is important, critically important, but ultimately, James says, it really means nothing if it is not backed up with concrete action. And that is why the thesis verse in the book of James is found in chapter 2, verse 17, where James writes and says, if faith stands alone, that is, if it includes no action, then it is really a dead kind of faith. Over and over again in the book of James, he is telling us, if you say you are the people of God, then live like the people of God. Otherwise, your profession means nothing. And nowhere is it more important uh, than we live out our faith than it is in this whole area that we've been looking at, racial injustice, racial inequality, and so if you have your Bibles with you this morning or you've got your message guide pulled up there on your phone, look with me at James chapter 2, verse 1, because the apostle says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism or more literally stop showing favoritism. Now, if you were here last week or you're, you, you joined us last week uh, online, the word favoritism, some translations translate it partiality. This word means literally to receive someone, to respond to someone, or to relate to someone based upon that person's outward appearance. It means to prejudge Someone, or to stereotype someone, or react to someone based upon the color of that person's skin, his or her ethnicity, their social status, their economic background. And James says, please stop doing that. Don't, don't bring that mess into the church. And as the people of God don't carry that mess out into 
the culture. There is no room for that here, and there's no room for us to demonstrate that out there. Now, we all know painfully so from what's been going on in recent days and weeks that these actions and attitudes of prejudice and discrimination have been very prominently displayed in their most tragic forms. In what happened to George Floyd, in what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. But this is not the only place where these attitudes are found. We need to understand that the impetus for these kinds of unconscionable actions or things that often lie dormant within us deep inside the human heart where they are just as repulsive and abhorrent in the eyes of God as the actions that led to the death of these two individuals. I, I, was, I was reading this past week in Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And there's some powerful words in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is speaking. And this is what He has to say. You have heard it said, do not commit murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will also be liable to judgment. In other words, Jesus is saying it is not just the act of murder that is condemned. Rather, it is the anger that leads to murder that is equally condemned. And then he goes on just a few verses down. Again, Jesus speaking, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look upon someone with lust, you have already committed adultery with that person in your heart. In other words, again, it is not just the act of adultery that is condemned. It is the lust that leads to adultery that is equally condemned. In other words, the attitude in here is just as wrong as the action out there. And I think sometimes in the church we have missed this. Jesus' standard for your life and my life as His followers is so much higher, I think, many times than, than we want to grapple with. It's not just what we do. It is what we think. It is not just action. It is attitude. So it's not just the overt, outward acts of racial injustice and equality that we need to recognize and condemn. It is also the inner attitudes of our own hearts and minds that are equally, equally abominable in the eyes of God. And, and the problem, the real problem, I think, with these attitudes of racism and prejudice is that they often lie hidden. They're very, they're very subtle. They, they sort of lie beneath the surface until something happens. We see something or, or we sense something and then they rise to the surface. 
So they just kind of simmer there and we don't recognize them. We don't grapple with them. And this is something we've avoided for a long time dealing with in the church of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're trying to deal with these things Again, from a biblical perspective as we work our way through James chapter 2, the first 13 verses. So last Sunday, and if you have a message guide in front of you there, you'll see I gave you six specific things, a quick summary of the truths that we find in these verses. I'm not going to go back and read through all six of those this morning because we're going to start working our way through them one by one this morning. And here's the first one. I mentioned it last week. Let's look at it. See what James really has to say. Number one, attitudes of prejudice and racism are absolutely incompatible with a genuine belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to let that sink in, right? Just let it sink in. Attitudes and actions of racism, prejudice, stereotyping, Discrimination are absolutely incompatible with a genuine belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, James says it is impossible. It is just impossible for me to stand here this morning and say that I love Jesus and at the same time have attitudes of prejudice and racism toward other people. They're, they're incompatible opposites. That's what he's saying here in chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it again. This is the New Living Translation. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And the answer to that question is you can't. This is a, this is a question that provides its own answer. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others. Now I want you to, to write, note right from the beginning that James is writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. His audience is made up of those he calls what? My dear brothers and sisters. And he clearly states that the folks he's writing to are believers in a glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, these words are for you. These words are for me specifically. This is not a section we can ignore. This is not a topic we can avoid. Jesus' words are clear. They're written to us and they lead us to an inevitable truth. And here's the truth. The problem of prejudice, racism, discrimination, racial inequality and injustice, the problem of prejudice goes to the very root of my own personal belief in Jesus Christ. It goes to the very root of my own personal belief in Jesus Christ. James says, okay, you say you're believers. You've got the doctrine." But right doctrine and wrong attitudes about other people, those things are, are contradictory. Prejudice, prejudging others based upon their racial, ethnic, 
social or economic distinction, making value judgments about others based solely on their appearance is absolutely incompatible with the truth about Jesus Christ. So, what is the truth about Jesus? Well, we could say a lot of things about Him, but speaking specifically to this point, look with me at the verse there in your message guide, Matthew chapter 22, verse 16. Now, in Matthew 22, verse 16, the things that are taking place here are taking place at the hands of Jesus' enemies. These are some of His most vociferous and consistent enemies, and they're trying to catch Jesus here in a trap. Uh, But they come up to Him. Look at verse 16. It says, They, that is the Pharisees, they're identified here, and their disciples, uh, they sent their, their, their disciples to Jesus, along, it says, with the Herodians. And they said, Teacher, they're addressing Jesus, We know that you're sincere and that you teach the way of God truthfully without concerning yourself about what anyone thinks or says of your teachings, for you are impartial and you do not seek anyone's favor, watch this, underline, and you treat all people alike regardless of status. Jesus treated all people alike. Just read the Gospels and you will see very quickly that when Jesus walked this earth, anyone from any background was equally welcomed and embraced by Christ. Now, He was a Jew. But in John chapter 4, we see Him going out of His way to reach out to a Samaritan woman when most Jews would not even set foot in Samaria because of their own prejudice and racism. Nicodemus, the brilliant, respected theologian of John chapter 3, didn't impress Jesus one bit more than the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And then in a remarkable and to me a truly staggering story in in, in Mark chapter 12, the poor widow who put in her two small pennies in the temple treasury is actually looked on with greater favor by Jesus than the rich Pharisee who boastfully gave a large donation. Over and over again in Scripture, we can see that Jesus never differentiated between people. He never judged people because of their race, their ethnicity, their social standing, their economic status. In fact, in fact, if you read the Gospels at all, you will see that Jesus was constantly attacked and accused by the religious establishment of His day for befriending sinners, reaching out to the outcasts, those that many people in that day considered to be the dregs of society. Those were the people Jesus seemed to minister to most often. 
those that everybody else marginalized, those that everybody else oppressed, the minority. Jesus Christ was never, not once, not a single time influenced by a person's race, riches, or social standing. And here in Matthew chapter 22, even His enemies, <coughs> even His enemies recognize that about Jesus. He made no distinctions between people. He showed no favoritism, no partiality. And I want you to know, I for one am eternally grateful for that. Because here's a truth that you can absolutely take to the bank. You ready for it? The only reason why you and I are here today is because God doesn't play favorites. <clears throat> he just doesn't play favorites. And I'm glad He doesn't, or I wouldn't be here. And neither would you. James says, you can believe all the right things about Jesus, but if you turn around and, and live the wrong way, if you demonstrate attitudes or actions of discrimination, prejudice toward other people, you have absolutely contradicted your profession because prejudice is absolutely incompatible with a genuine belief in Jesus Christ. We cannot, we cannot come into this auditorium and worship a glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot honor Him inside this place if we're going to turn around and dishonor Him out there with actions and attitudes of prejudice toward those who may look different and do look different from you and from me. So we got that one pretty clear. Attitudes and actions of prejudice are absolutely incompatible with a genuine belief in a glorious, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Number one. Number two. And this, listen, this is one. <coughs> this is one that we're just going to have to let our guards down. And we're just going to have to be brutally honest and deal with. Here it is. Actions and attitudes of prejudice indicate the presence of evil thoughts in my heart and in my mind. They indicate the presence of evil, evil thoughts in my heart and in my mind. Now let's look at what James has to say here in verses 2 through 4. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Now if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, well, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now the Passion Translation says... You have if you do this, you have demonstrated gross prejudice upon your uh, gross prejudice among yourselves, and you have used here's the word again evil standards of judgment. 
Now, as I shared last week, this, this is a very specific illustration. And James is talking specifically about differentiating between the rich and the poor, the privileged and the marginalized economically. But this principle, church, applies to any form of discrimination, any form of prejudice. So let's try to get this picture in our mind because it really helps us, I think, if we do that. Here are two men. They both come walking into a worship service on a typical Sunday morning. One man is obviously well-to-do. He makes an impressive addition to the service. He is definitely one of the privileged in society. He dresses well. Signs of affluence and privilege. So he makes an impressive addition. People respond to him. Second man comes in. He is obviously not like the first man. He is obviously poor. His clothes are dirty. Maybe he hasn't had a bath. He impresses absolutely no one. Here's the well-to-do man. He is warmly received. He is given the royal treatment by the church members. The ushers make sure he gets a good seat down front. But the poor man, the one whose clothes are shabby, the one who may not smell too good, well, he is either looked at with suspicion or he is largely ignored. Nobody goes out of their way to speak to him. He is just left to find a seat for himself somewhere in the back. Now, I'm going to say something this morning that is probably going to be hard for you to hear. And I want to be honest, it is hard for me to say. Those of us who are in this congregation this morning, who are Anglo, who are white, listen to me. We absolutely are kidding ourselves if we don't think that kind of treatment takes place in the lives of minorities and people of color every single day in this nation, in stores, in restaurants, on the streets, and in way too many churches. And James says... When that happens in the church or outside the church, when Christians, wherever they are, respond or react or relate to people like that based upon nothing more than their outward appearance, then here's what has happened, James says. You have become judges with evil motives. You have done an evil thing. Now you need to understand that word evil that you see there in this verse is the same word that is used elsewhere in Scripture to speak of the devil himself. 
This is a strong word. Why does he use such strong language? Here's why James uses such strong language, folks. It is because the issue is the mission of the church and the very essence and purpose of Christianity. James says, if your real concern was for the spiritual condition of other people, then you would have treated both these men the same way. But because you treated them differently, you showed me something. In fact, you proved that you weren't concerned about their spiritual condition. You proved you were concerned about something else. You weren't really concerned about whether or not the well-to-do man was growing in his relationship with Christ. You, you were more concerned about how much money he might contribute to the budget or how much prestige he might bring into the church if he were to join. That's why you gave him the royal treatment. And the poor man, the guy who was shabbily dressed, who didn't smell so good, you weren't worried about whether or not he had a personal relationship with Jesus. You were more worried about whether or not his kids would tear up the new hymnals or disrupt the worship service or kick the back of your seat or, God forbid, sit in your seat. I mean, that's really why he had to find his own place in the back. What's your motivation in the way you relate to other people? You see, church, whether a person is rich or poor, black or white, socially acceptable or a social outcast, your response to that person, my response to that person, the way we receive, relate to that person should be motivated by one single solitary thing. And that is a genuine, passionate, loving concern for that person's spiritual condition. His or her personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the gospel is about? Isn't that what church is about? Isn't that what Christianity is about? And James says any other motivation for the way you relate to somebody is the wrong motivation. It is evil motivation. It is devilish motivation. It is satanic motivation because Satan does not want you to be concerned about other people's souls. And if Satan can get us to that point, listen, here's the truth. It's a tough one to hear. But if Satan can get you and me to be concerned about anything in another person's life other than the condition of his or her soul, then Satan has done his job in the church. He has done his job in the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ... Here, of all places, in the church of Jesus Christ, among the family of faith, both gathered here and scattered out in the world, wherever we find ourselves, in our communities, in our places of business, in our schools, 
Whether a person is rich or poor, black or white, Asian or Hispanic, well-dressed or ragged, clean or dirty, all people must receive equal attention, equal response, equal concern, equal love, equal value and dignity because as followers of Christ, our greatest passion must be the needs of of a person's soul. That's what Christianity is all about. Or it is about nothing at all. In your message guide, I have listed for you once again the same six questions for us to continue to ask ourselves. I'll probably list these every week. Just some starting points for us. You can look at them there. Do I have an aversion to being around people who are different from me? Do I secretly consider myself to be better than certain other people? Do I stereotype whole groups of people that, uh, that have certain qualities and characteristics because of how they look or where they come from? Do I use racial or ethnic slurs? Do I tell jokes that depend upon a racial or ethnic punchline? Do I listen to people who do those kinds of things? And what am I doing to build bridges? What am I doing to form relationships with people of ethnic, social, economic backgrounds that are very different from my own? We're, we're, we're in process now and are going to be putting forward some ideas about concrete things we can do as a congregation to demonstrate our commitment to racial justice and racial equality and the value and the worth of every human being that has been created in the image of God. And I just want to give you a heads up on one very small thing you can look for this week. The Southern Baptist Convention, either early this week or perhaps late last week, put out a statement specifically about the events that took place in Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, last week uh, surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd. They put out a statement, very well written, very strong statement, indicating our opposition to anything that even gives the appearance of, of acceptance of that kind of action. And we're going to be posting on social media this week, in as many places as we can find, uh, our church's agreement with that statement. We're also going to be adding a statement of our own because I just I don't think that statement goes far enough. It deals specifically with the law enforcement issue and we've got a deeper problem than just that. And so we're, we're going to address that as well. You can be looking for that, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We'll, we'll probably put these things out wherever we can. Uh, and if you want to read the Southern Baptist Convention statement, you can go to the uh, website, which is sbc.net, sbc.net, and you can read that statement, and we're going to be, again, putting out our affirmation of that statement this week, and a lot of other things that we hope to be bringing to the forefront, where we, 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 <laughs> we no longer just say we believe certain things, but we begin to put some concrete action behind them. Listen. Attitudes of prejudice are absolutely incompatible with a genuine belief 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they indicate the presence of evil thoughts, evil motivations in my heart and in my mind. I, I wish I had... I wish I had easy answers this morning to the ills that are confronting us. I don't know any of us this week who, has, who have watched the images on television of all that's been taking place in our, in our country without being heartbroken over it, without grieving over what's going on in our culture. And I wish I had easy answers. I, I don't have all the answers. I do, however, know two things. And I share them with you this morning with absolute confidence. Number one, the only answer to the ills in our culture, whatever they may be, is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that will make the difference. We have that knowledge. We have that information. We need to be sharing it. The other thing is, whenever God has brought revival, renewal to a culture, to a country, it has never begun with the world out there. It has always begun with the people of God in here. And I believe 2 Chronicles 7.14 is still just as true today as it was when those words were first penned. If my people, my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, my people, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin. Listen, and I will what? Heal their land. Do you believe this word is true? The prescription is right here. I want you to join me in prayer right now for our nation. Heavenly Father, we see things, we hear things, we are impacted by things right now in this nation that in some ways may be unprecedented. We're still dealing with the impact of this virus and now the turmoil in our streets and our communities. And Father, we beg You to intervene. It would be easy for us this morning, Father, to rail and vent. And to condemn the darkness. But our job is to shine the light. Our role is to be the light. Sinners will never change. And evil will never be held at bay until the greater power of the gospel of Jesus Christ floods 
into hearts and souls and minds. And you have called us to be on mission with you to deliver that message of hope, of reconciliation, of peace. And many of the things we see in our culture and in our world today, we see because we have not been as faithful as we have needed to be on that mission. And so, Lord, we ask Your forgiveness. We confess our sin. We seek Your face. We pray that You will now hear from heaven. Forgive our sin and heal this land so that the name of Jesus might be lifted up and exalted from this place out into our community, our nation and among the nations so that men and women, students, boys and girls from every nation, tongue, tribe and people, ethnicity, race, socioeconomic background, social status, would be drawn to the One who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Prince of peace. Is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing. We're going to sing together this morning. The words are on the screen. Very simple prayer. I surrender all. I surrender all. I, I believe if we sing that this morning and it's more than just a song, it's really the prayer of our heart, then we'll begin to see God move. We'll begin to see God do some things in us and then through us to make a difference in our world. These altars are open. Maybe you just want to come and pray this morning. If I can pray with you, there are ministers here. We'll be careful. We're going to observe social distancing standards that our gover governors ask us to, but... We don't want to hold back on giving you a response, opportunity to respond this morning. So either right where you are or if you need to come forward as we sing, would you let God speak to your heart this morning? I surrender all.